Welcome to the Pants Cast, brought to you by Lululemon, a show about all things pants. My guest is Matt James, former NCAA player and Lululemon ABC pant enthusiast. Hi, great to be here. Matt, tell us all about those ABC pants. The comfort? They're like the pants I put on when I don't want to wear pants. Versatility? You could wear these pants to a wedding, but you could also wear these to a cookout. And what about style? They're like if casual and cool had a baby. Well, it's clear why you're an ABC enthusiast. Pleasure having you and your pants on the show. Thanks for having us. Find the shockingly comfortable ABC pants at lululemon.com. Welcome, gather round the fireside and listen to a tale of Fionn McCool, Coo Cullen, Deirdre, all the sorrows grow on your wail. From giants right down to fairies, about the trooping and solitary, and ghosts who are sometimes scary. Anything goes by the fireside. Yeah. Fireside, the Puka Fireside, the Mero Fireside. Kings and queens fighting heroes, don't you run from the fun, there's no need to hide. Sit by the fireside. Mm-hmm. Fireside. Hello and welcome to Fireside, the Irish storytelling podcast. Each episode of Fireside, we take a story from folklore or mythology. We retell it, have a chat about the tale itself and about the craft, culture and history of storytelling. My name is Kevin C. Olahan. I'm your host and your Fireside Bard. Welcome to episode 105 of Fireside. Today on the Irish Storytelling Podcast, we're going to be telling a tale that contains the very first mention, the earliest source of a god in Irish literature. Uh, a pagan god, an Irish god, that is. But first, I want to give a huge welcome to each and every one of you. I hope you all had a very good Christmas. This is going to be a quick, relatively quick introduction. Um, I recorded this right uh, on on when this will be being released because it's been the Christmas holiday break. But as I took time as there was gaps in Fireside over the last two Christmases. I wanted to not miss a week this year. I'm getting that a slight bit now, but I, I got on top of myself and recorded this story a couple of weeks ago, so I'm just recording a tag onto it now. But a big welcome to any new listeners, and thank you so much to any returning listeners, and I hope each and every one of you had a great, had a great break and is still enjoying the break. It's still a very tricky time, uh, and new new governmental restrictions, another lockdown over here in Ireland in place until the end of January, so we're going nowhere yet anyway, but we're staying strong and resilient, and thank you to each and every one of you for your messages. Please do follow me over on Instagram at FiresideBard. Please do email me at thefiresidebard at gmail.com if you want to get in touch or just say hello. Please, please do support the Patreon if you are in a position to do so. Your support has never been more appreciated. You get to join the community of Fireside and help further Irish storytelling and help us build the podcast and get into 2021. 2021 is starting to feel like it's 2020 take two. It is literally, or is figuratively at least, just, uh, you know, let's try that one again. Let's take that one again from the top. 
But I have to say, it shows the holiday generosity and the kind nature in all of you. We have had five new patrons in the last week. So thank you so much. Our biggest week yet. So I want to give a huge thank you to, I hope I pronounced this correctly, Shinon Featherston, Connor Charleston, Shane Grogan, James Hurley and Greg Yankee. Thank you to each and every one of you and for joining the community of Fireside it's never been a better time. The fire, the podcast keeps going from strength to strength, and I want to continue to do so. That and your your support, your Patreon support, constantly drives me on to that because the Patreon isn't going to affect whether I keep doing the podcast or not. Um, it's just, but I found it is naturally enough any kind of stimulus like that and to show that you all not only listen but that you want to support it as well really stirs me on and a particular thank you as well to Brian McGlynn who is has been one of our longest patrons who upped his his uh, subscription for this month as a holiday bonus thank you so much for your unbelievable generosity to Brian and to all our new patrons thank you so much but I I have a hard sell. I don't want that to sound like a hard sell. As I say every time, the Patreon is there if you can, if you are in a position to. It is not going to affect the output of the podcast, but it is there if you are in a position. So thank you one more time to each and every one of you. The story for this week is, as I said in the introduction, it is the earliest source of an Irish god mentioned in in Irish literature, which was something, which was a recent discovery of mine from the incredible book Ireland's Immortals by Mark Williams, who I'm delighted to say I interviewed last week. I did my first ever fireside interview. I haven't uh, released it yet because I need to, I interviewed him over Zoom, so I need to have a re-look at the footage and uh, check what the quality is like and then decide what I'm going to do with it later. But it was a great chat. Mark is such a learned guy really knows his stuff about Irish mythology and Irish literature and it was an absolute pleasure talking to him I hope he feels the same way and I can't wait for all of you to listen to it and couldn't recommend his book Irish Ireland's Mortals anymore or it has really given me a new direction for the podcast and a, a few of the most recent myths have all come from that and this is no exception so the voyage of Bran is a companion piece of sorts to the voyage of or the adventure of Conley, which I did a couple of weeks ago, which told the story of the son of Con of the Hundred Battles, who is visited by a figure from the other world and then is spirited away by her and goes to live in immortality. As you will see, the voyage of Con has a very similar structure and a very similar story to begin with, but then takes a very different journey. And they are both two of the earliest tales we have, the earliest examples. And the Voyage of Bran is particularly significant because this is the very first mention of an Irish god. And that god is Manon and Machlir, the god of the sea. So what better chance could you have? Or what better example could you have? We'll chat more after, but this is The Voyage of Bran on Fireside. <laughs> Bran thinks it a wondrous beauty in his coracle over the clear sea. As for me, in my chariot from afar, it is a flowery plain around which he drives. 
What is clear sea for the proud ship in which Bran is, is a pleasant plain with an abundance of flowers for me in a two-wheeled chariot. Bran sees many waves breaking over the clear sea. I myself see in Magmon red-topped flowers without flaw. Seahorses glisten in summer as far as Bran has stretched the glance of his eye. Flowers pour forth a stream of honey in the land of Manonin, son of Lear. The color of the ocean on which you are, the bright color of the sea on which you row, it has spread out gold and blue-green. It is solid land. Speckled salmon leap out of it from the womb, from the white sea on which you look. They are calves. They are lovely colored lambs at peace without mutual slaying. The Voyage of Bran Bran was not just the name of Fionn McCool's loyal cousin-turned-hound. There was, in another time, in another Ireland, a high king named Bran. Solitude is surprisingly hard to come by when you are responsible for the rule of an entire people. And one such rare moment, where the king stole away some time of peace, Bran heard the distinct sound of music. It was distinct in so much as Bran had never heard anything quite like it. He recognized the manipulation of wind and the pluck of strings, but it was a denser, sweeter sound than was ever known by the High King. Bran searched and searched and grew anxious when the music seemed to grow and grow in volume while remaining elusive and unseen. Suddenly the music came right behind the High King and lulled Bran into a sound asleep as he had known since having the weight of error placed on his shoulders like Atlas himself. Bran dreamed of the source of this enchanting, frenzied sound. It was a woman who seemed to be made of petals and branches. He could not quite make out a flesh form without becoming overwhelmed by her beauty. Bran did not know whether he was more attracted to the figure or the tune. Before he could decide, the king awoke. When Bran came to, there was in his hand a silver branch with cherry blossom petals. There was nothing of the sort that grew on Bran's lands. The branch was not of this world. The king marched back to his fort and presented his assembled tribe with the mysterious offshoot. Between the pack of you gathered here today, has even one of you ever seen the like of this on these shores? No one had ever come across a silver branch with cherry blossoms. But as a late reply to the king's request, the beautiful musician once again appeared. This time everyone gathered there could see her. She was no fantasy, no figment of Bran's weary mind. She was real. But just because she was real does not, of course, mean that she was of this world. 
I come from a land that knows no illness, death, not even what you perceive as time. I know a thousand island nations, a million ways to immortality, to live out life in any conceivable way. I summon you, High King of Era. Come away to my lands, to the land of joy, to the island of women. Come to the kingdom of Manon and Maclear. Her summons ended, the figure began to fade as blossoms blown from an autumn limb, but not before retrieving her silver branch from Bran's tight grip. The king had not released the branch since it had first appeared in his hands, but now he was weak as a kitten to resist losing his recently beloved possession. Bran was left branchless in his fort, surrounded by a mortal world he was no longer content with. There was only one thing for it. The next day, Bran had a skiff prepared, and crewed it with three times nine men, each group led by one of the king's own foster brothers. The twenty-nine sails salt... Take that again. The twenty-nine salts sailed for two hard, windy days. They felt directionless. They were directionless. All they were going on was a sleep-deprived vision of a king in search of a bit of dead tree. You couldn't exactly look for that with a compass. What seemed to be a tidal wave began to approach Bran's skiff. The crew didn't know whether to paddle away or attempt to skewer through the wave. There was no time for a decision. And when they realized what the wave really was, neither Scylla nor Charybdis could have made a man move. From the foam came a chariot, pulled by a single white horse. The horse had the power of waves, and was as brilliant white as violent sea foam. The chariot was an of organic gold, like a deep water mine, and the rider was neither man, nor merman, nor marrow, nor selkie he was. He was a god. He was the god, Mananin Maklir, the god of the sea. Mananin did not speak to the crew so much as he chanted verse at them, while the gods spoke, not a man moved. It's a wonder they did not capsize there and then, but the god calmed the sea as he spoke. You voyagers see ocean beneath you. You believe you ride on tides and waves, but I only see open fields and winds blowing through tall grass. You see fish leap from the depths. I see birds, butterflies, and bees. You think I am the lord of the ocean, but what you cannot conceive is the sea is my land. The voyagers could not conceive this, and neither can I. If you can, please do let me know. Having sufficiently melted the brains of enough sailors for one afternoon, Manon and Maclear favoured Brand with a wind, which blew the skiff to the shore of an island. Bran called to shore. Is this the island of women? Do silver branches grow here? 
There were many folk on the shores of the island, all of whom saw the skiff, but every one of them merely laughed. Convulsions of laughter and pointing at Bran and his crew. It baffled the king and made him immensely anxious. "'How dare they laugh at us!' cried one of Bran's men as he leapt from the skiff and swam to the shore. The man intended revenge, but once he touched sand, something changed within him. Bran called to his friend, but the man turned and began to laugh as foolishly and as maddeningly as everyone else on the island. "'This is clearly the island of madmen,' said another crew member. "'No,' said Bran. "'That is the island of joy.' We are close. Disheartened, having left the man behind, Bran sailed on until he came to another island. This time he did not need to call to shore. Bran saw cherry-blossom trees with silver branches leading to silver limbs and boughs. More. On the shore of the island Bran saw women. Only women. And most importantly, Bran saw the woman, the one who had appeared to him, who had summoned him on this voyage. Bran was hesitant to go ashore, but he was given no choice in the matter. The musician tossed a ball of yarn at the king's head. Bran interceded with his fist. The string wrapped around his hand and began to pull the ship to shore. The crew were helpless. But their cries were not necessary. Once ashore, the summoning woman said, Do not worry or fear. Worry and fear are unknown here. Here you will only know peace, pleasure and contentment. Come. The voyagers were led to a magnificent island manor. Inside they sat at a banquet table where their plates never emptied. Eat and drink as much as they did, their plates never diminished. Then they were each led to their own rooms and slept as if they had never known beds before. They stayed on the island of women for what would have felt like a year if time had been a construct they adhered to. Each day they would hunt and play sport and games. At night they would feast, tell stories, sing songs, and they never grew weary or apprehensive or bored. Life was perfect. Can the mortal soul ever be contented? There was one crew member of Bran's ship named Nocton. Nocton planted the seed that would grip the crew like a vine, the seed of longing, of missing home. Bran would hear not a word of it until every one of his men dreamed of Era, and the king became powerless to the will of his own people. The musician who had summoned Bran, who had been a loving companion like he had never known, begged him not to leave. If you return to Era, you will only know misery. Please, stay. But the king was resigned. I am the leader of these men. They followed me here willingly, on a fool's errand. I must respect their wishes. The woman told Bran that if he must return not to step one foot on Era's shores, or death would surely follow. 
On the voyage home, Bran sailed by the island of joy and called the call of home to shore. The crew member who had lost his wits recovered them and swam out to the skiff. With their full company reassembled, they sailed for home. But when Bran and his men reached Era, the island was different. The trees were gone. The beaches had changed shape. Even the clothes on people's backs were unrecognisable. Nocton, the crew member who had been the first to want to return home to Era, was the first to leap from the skiff. But when he reached land, the moment his foot touched sand, the flesh melted off his bones like dead leaves. His skeleton collapsed into a pile of dust and blew away as ash in the wind. The crew looked on in horror. Bran remembered the musician's warning. The king called to a boy on the shore. You there, run to your local chieftain and tell him that King Bran has returned from his voyage. Pull the other one, said the boy. What? The king was not used to being spoken to like this. There is no King Bran. Bran had a horrifying thought. He gulped and asked the youth, Has there ever been a King Bran? There's a fairy story about one all right, said the boy, from about a hundred years ago. It was a mad king who lost his mind and disappeared to sea. Bran turned to his crew. He was at a loss for words. But there was an unspoken agreement between the crew. They knew what must be done. One final time, Bran called to shore. His story. The true story. The story I now tell you. At least, this is the version that has come down to us. We'll never know for sure what was said to that young boy, or whether or not he told anyone else. But so the version goes. Bran turned the skiff around and headed back to the Island of Promise. Neither he nor his crew were ever heard from again. To be continued. And that was the story of the voyage of Bran on Fireside, and I hope you enjoyed it. Yes, it is hard I said it before that this is a companion piece to the adventure of Conley because Conley is visited by a figure from the other world and he is spirited away and he's never heard from again. Bran is visited by the figure from the other world but where it differs then is we get to see Bran's journey. We are with him and his sailors on this these visits to these other island nations that feel like different worlds, different parallel timelines. It starts to have an expanded universe feel, which I really like, of these worlds operating operating on a different time and space or outside of time and space. It has a really cosmic, a cosmic feel to mythology, which is not something you would normally associate with this kind of storytelling. So I think that's 
that is is such great visual stimulus for me anyway when when adapting these and we meet Manonin. Manonin has this appearance and this is the very first appearance of an Irish god because and this I talked about Mark Williams with this in our interview we do not know which of the Irish gods that we call the Irish gods the Tuatha Dé Danann we don't actually know which if any of them were worshipped as deities because they were written down by Christian scribes but Manonin is one example of a god that because we have a source this early and because of how he is treated the reverence with which he is treated and because he is the god of a very primal basic element it is a strong we're fairly sure or scholars are fairly sure certainly that Manon and Maclear was worshipped as a god and so that's very exciting to to meet a god that actually was worshipped as one right at the beginning because Manon in his he's our Poseidon he's our uh, Neptune you know he he is he is as good a god as we've as we've got and after the fall of the two of the Danon when they retreat into the other world and become the fairies it is Mananon who becomes their king he becomes one of the final kings of the two of the Danon and eases their transition into immortality so for a for a god who doesn't hasn't had a huge amount of stories about him certainly not in the course of fireside he is incredibly important and it's great to meet him in this even though he is very much just a supporting character in this particular story but at the very beginning of this episode i read a very lofty passage and that is from directly lifted from the text in Ireland's Immortals which is word for word the same as it is in Lady Gregory's Irish mythology this is this poem this this poem which is one of the most famous in early Irish literature because it is the first poem that mentions an Irish deity which is that's why I wanted to read it verbatim outside of my adaptation and keep it separate but I had to give you an example of that of that is as translated from the ancient Irish that is it that is the first time we meet a member of the Tuatha Dé Danann as they would later be called and aside from the comparison with the adventure of Conlay I don't know about you but to me this story absolutely reeks of Tirnanog of the story of Ushin and Neve in that Ushin goes to Tirnanog and then returns to Ireland and finds a very different Ireland when he gets home and he falls off his horse and becomes 300 years old and realizes 300 years have passed and then is brought to St Patrick and he dies so with Khan we have a similar thing where he returns home and Nachtan this sailor that wanted to return home first he jumps off the boat and he turns to dust he dies and they realize they've been away for 100 years but Bran Bran doesn't make that mistake and so disappears again but I always love this idea of when stories explain when myths explain how they became myths so here we have that Bran returned to Ireland and just told his story to a passing youth and then that youth might have told someone else and he told someone else and suddenly you have a story growing arms and legs and it becoming a legend it becoming a myth 
until it enters it enters mythology and then it stops being history and over the thousand years passes down to us and then becomes the version that I adapted and then the version that I'm telling to you and then it'll become your own version when you tell it on if you choose to tell the story to anyone else and the story contains the first it contains the first telling of the tale and it's from Bran himself and those are always elements of a story I really really enjoy when a story justifies its existence and creates its own myth but what's interesting in a comparison with Tirnanog is Tirnanog is an infinitely more famous and arguably stronger tale. This is much, much older. The Voyage of Bran is a much, much older story. And as it turns out, Neve as a character, as this figure who takes Oshin to Tirnanog, she doesn't actually appear until the 18th century. So the Voyage of Bran and Manonin's experience and this very Tirnanog tale is actually a thousand years older, definitely, certainly from written sources, is a thousand years older, uh, which is incredible. And maybe part of the reason Tirnanog is as famous today is it's much more recent, it's much more palatable to a modern ear and a modern eye. I could talk for a good bit longer about this, but I said I would try and keep this shorter because it was quite a, a, a beefy tale. And... But I hope you enjoyed it. I really hope you enjoyed this voyage of Bran. This was these two stories, the Adventure of Conley and the Voyage of Bran, were two that I immediately wanted to adapt following reading Ireland's Immortals, because they felt like a a great dive back in. Particularly having had Con of the Hundred Battles for the hundredth episode, it felt like a really good gateway back in, and I feel like I have a trajectory again for our sift back through Irish mythology to try and contextualize and enrich and keep telling better versions of these stories and learn more of these stories and learn more about these characters and we've had a lot of the famous ones let's find more famous ones let's find less famous ones let's do this together and as always please do keep in touch let me know which of these stories you like which you don't like and we can continue to build on Fireside as I believe it does continue to build and it's because of the relationship of this community, this ever-growing ember of a community of Fireside listeners. And with that, I'm going to wrap things up. So thank you so much to all of you. Thank you to Alan Paddy and Connor at Headstuff. Very big announcement from Headstuff that I'll finally be able to announce in the next episode when we have our first episode of 2021. But so this is, yes, The Voyage of Bran is the last episode of 2020 and an appropriate one to have the first mention of an Irish god in the last episode of 2020 and let your, let my head be sufficiently warped by that. Thank you to anyone else to thank. Just yourselves again. Follow me over on Instagram at FiresideBard. Email me at thefiresidebard at gmail.com. Please subscribe to the Patreon if you can over at patreon.com forward slash firesidepodcast. I will see you all. You'll hear me all next time. And remember, wherever you are and wherever you go, you can always join me by the fireside. This podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network.